You are now listening to Fixed Ops Chops, podcast designed by top industry experts to provide you the cutting-edge information you need for a lucrative fixed operations department. Stay up to date on the hottest profit-strengthening products, services, and technologies. And now your host, CEO of Traction, automotive industry leader, and fixed operations expert, Dave Boyle. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fix Stops Chops with uh, your host, I'm Dave Boyle with Traction. We are here live from the show floor at NADA uh, 2023 in Dallas, Texas, my hometown. And if you've been following along on Instagram and other social media platforms, we are doing little short versions of the podcast here today. We're talking to some industry movers and shakers here at the show, um, and it's been an interesting day. Talked to a lot of fun people. This next time, I'm really looking forward to it, um, even though I'm kind of mad at him, but I'm going to tell him why I'm kind of mad at him here in a minute, but um, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Not Brian the first Kramer. One. Not the first one, Mr. Brian Kramer with, I guess, AccuTrade. AccuTrade. Cars.com. Cars.com. I'm only mad at you because, you know, I was looking forward to you being one of my best customers at one point. So, you I were, actually uh, just told uh, Toyota that that was one of the, uh, I guess, the un- whatever the unfinished projects that I missed the most is that I wish, I really wish I was able to com- complete the digital transformation of the service truck. Yeah. But I'm sure some point stores will get it yeah. so of course people that don't know that was when you were with the the uh Jermaine the Jermaine group. group down in florida running their lexus and toyota store down there lincoln i think for a while too you had the lincoln store didn't yes. you across the streets we were starting and you decided to go over to the dark side with us become a vendor yeah which has been fascinating Is this it? whole show has been fascinating it's uh so how, how's it how, What's your first impressions of being on the vendor side, trying to sell to your former, your former GMs and dealers? So, like you, I don't really sell. I just, you know, here's what it can do, and you know, it's it's different because, well, actually, it's not really different than selling cars. I don't want to sell a car to somebody who doesn't want to buy it or tell them to service it if it doesn't right. make sense. Right. And it, it's not easy to to get your digital transformation with appraisals and virtual appraisals, so right. service drive acquisition. So if, if they're not mentally prepared for it, it's better that they don't do it so that I can support all the dealers that want to be more progressive, no different than what you're doing. I tell people all the time, I've been 30 years I've been this, I've been with some pretty successful companies and there's some people out there that think I'm some great salesperson. I am the worst salesperson in the world. I really am. I, I just, what I am is I'm passionate about this business um, and I, I think, you know, I convey a good story and, you know, I tell them what it can do and if they want to buy, they buy. You know, I'm not, I've got guys that work for me that are way better closers than I am. I'm just a, uh, I'm more of a tell you what it'll do for you and if you want it, you want it. If you don't, you know, I'm good with that too. So I, No, I think I, you should be candid with people. Right, and a lot of for times sure. we, I see it all the time in, every, in, in retail and on this side, selling things that people don't need. So what attracted to you to the AccuTrade product with Cars.com to make the leap? So I was already working with Phil uh, Holland's head right. on it at, at the Toyota store, service driver acquisition, site unseen appraisals. So he and I were working on a few projects. And I was mad at him because he sold it to Cars.com because I was trying to work out uh, a, deal. a deal with him. <laughs> And unfortunately, you know, they've got a lot more, they're a lot more uh, well capitalized than I am. So. Yeah, exactly. So you so decided to go out, to work for them anyway. So good stuff. And worked out this the end all, end solution of that within that transition. And I get to see my daughters grow up. Got two years left playing volleyball. And good I get to go to all the games. Yeah, a little more of a Monday to Friday type thing than seven days, seven to seven, seven to seven, seven days a week in a car dealership. Yeah, but initially, just like when you go through digital transformation. 
It's a little bit more right now. I'm actually thinking of working more than I was in the dealership. Yeah. I think I had it a little bit easier. It's not. I mean, it's not. It's not. Uh, a lot of people think this is easier on this side. It's not. It's, uh, you know, I've been doing it for 30 years, and it's a. It's a grind. Um, you know, as you know, with our product, you know, we were trying to digitize that space of tire measurement and selling and presenting to the customers with a completely seamless digital, digital, digital transaction. What? Tell me a little bit about what AcuTrade is, is doing on this appraisal side because I think it's fascinating. So. We initially you know, started it at Jermaine, but I got dealers like Peter Bullware, eight of the top ten publicly traded groups are using it, uh, different different ways of what I'm going to describe. It allows you to decentralize the appraisal process. In many cases, you got people that are doing, you know, at Jermaine, there's 52 salespeople that are appraising groups. Right. So you think about the bandwidth, they go from 300 to 1,200 appraisals. So now it's a contact sport. Run store can appraise 10% of their orders and actually present numbers. <clears throat> but some of the top floors we see 30%. Right. So, like where we were, we were 6,000 ROs. We wanted to be 550 to 600 appraisals at least. But now we're integrating QR codes on, on the watermarks on the rear orders as we're checking out. Uh, stand ups in the service drive. You know, curious about your, tra- your, your vehicle value, standing, window claims as they're walking in the service drive. And then we attribute it within our reporting suite so that everybody knows exactly how many cars, because nobody ever believes that was really a service drive. That's what we would have right. anyway. <clears throat> so you really know the service drive finders and, and all of that stuff, you know, guaranteed bulletproof attribution. And, it, and I just appraised uh, three cars outside, outside of this convention center, and n- none of them took longer than two minutes. Right. Because it's, it's really, so simple. Yeah. I mean, talk about the service drive. I've been saying this for years. It's you know, it's such fertile ground for, for for used vehicles, right? I mean, if you really, really worked your service drive, um, you'd be going to the auction a whole lot less often, right? I mean, there's such an opportunity there to buy cars, um, and when you buy it that way, you get the chance to sell two, right? Right. You buy one and you you sell them another one. I mean, it's uh, to me, it's always seemed to be. I just never really understood why that didn't become more integrated into what a service advisor does or what the whole service advisor And I get how hard that can be, and I think some of the tools, it sounds like you guys are building over there is making that easier. So. And it used to be that hard, but now it's so simple. Uh, you know, actually, when you were at the store, you we were walking through, and you know, I got a click for me as I'm looking at the, the you know, service valets that are checking people in, and they're taking an iPad and they're doing a walk-around video. I'm like, well, we trust somebody we're paying $15 an hour to do that, but we won't trust our top salespeople to do it. It's crazy, right? I mean, it all comes down to simplicity, process, and making sure that it's happening 100% of the time. I, you know, we're still need to circle back around and complete the, uh, you know, the last chapter of the book right. with uh, alignment, uh, tread depth, Right. Automated into AccuTrade. Right. That's really the only thing that's not automated. Because we do an OBD scanner right. and do everything. But those, those and then body panels are the only three things that are left out. We need to talk <laughs> off air then, buddy, because we got to figure <laughs> this one out. Because I'll tell you something. We Listen, we've been talking about this in our shop for years. I mean, to me, you know, when you do an appraisal on a vehicle, you know, you can find some things wrong with the vehicle that would, could, could devalue the trade, or you can look at them and say, listen, I'm willing to put that into the car to keep it. But one of the things that can often be a tipper in this is tires, just because of the size of that, what that repair bill could be. 
you, know, you could be into an $800, $900 set of tires. And our belief has always been is that, you know, get that $800 and put that into the deal, right? So it's interesting you bring that up. So we built a scoreboard that actually measures appraiser efficiency. Okay. Now that you've got you got 50 people doing it, you've really got to see who's accurate and who's not. What was the appraisal uh, reconditioning estimate before and after the RO is closed? Right. And then you start seeing, we're seeing $1,200 to $2,000 variances of just right. leakage. Right. And nobody's, I mean, you take that times fucking 100 appraisals. Right. And you're talking about a massive million dollar number. Yeah. So what I say the next step of this is, A, correct valuations on tires. A tire on a Camaro SS is different than a tire on a 16-inch graph. Right. But in addition to that, copying and all the things that, that you yep. guys do, right. integrating that, we see on an OBD scan, every fifth scan, is about $1,247 on average. <clears throat> it could be some $4,000 on the category. Right. Not. Right. But out of every single appraisal, we're talking $50,000 plus. We see $217. If you don't scan it for OBD, that's the amount of missed opportunity. Tires, we see, is $309 per appraisal. So if somebody doesn't put the tread back in there, we measure what, what, what was the cost on it versus nothing. $309. Same thing. There's other you know, photos and cards that. The tires is actually more than diagnostics. Right. Right. And I, we've been a big believer in that, you know, and we believe that, you know, a lot of people are doing are doing equity mining, right, on cars in the drive right now. And to me, putting the tire into the equity equation is such a no-brainer, right? Because you say to the customer, listen, you know what? We want to buy your car, right? And you got two choices. I mean, we can, you can, you know, you can bring it in these tires today, so you can spend eight hundred bucks, or let's take that eight hundred dollars that you're going to spend in the service department, put that into the into the, into the trade, right? And now that makes that the, the, it makes the equity the equity deal a lot more lucrative. And then your service department is still going to get the set of tires because you're going to buy that car. You're going to put a set of tires on it before you put it out on the lot anyway, right? Do you know why there's so much friction at that point? Because it took me a minute. I, I, I do, but I'm, I want to hear it from you. <laughs> because everybody wants to go too fast. There has to be a point person. And if anybody's watching this, this is one of the, if you want to know why your service drive acquisition process doesn't work, it's this. Right. The service driver kicks back because they don't want that because next thing you know, they don't go the, the one extra step and take a copy of that RO and put in the service manager's bin or whoever's writing up uh, all the ROs to keep that RO open and also, you know, there's typically a warranty ticket attached to it and it should be closed out because that's what they came in for. Right. And then once you put it in your own internal name, then you've got to fight with the OEM and, and all the other things that go along with it. But that RO needs to go back to the CP advisor right. and not to the internal advisor right. that didn't sell the work. Right. And something that simple will make your service advisors advocates instead of having this friction you know, and not working together in these silos. It's well, and that comes down to process and tools, right? They need to have better tools and better processes because right now it's just not their focus, right? So it's like, okay, well, this is complicated. This is hard to deal with. I'm going to focus on what I know how to do today, which is to fix their car and get them out of here, right? Instead of seeing the bigger picture of... You know, this is a much bigger transaction. This could be fixing a car. It could be it could be buying a used car. It could be selling a new car. And not spiffing the service advisor. Right. Not that we don't want to pay them, right. but we do these spiffs because we don't just give them back the work that they sold. It's, right. in, it's crazy. I know. I know. And it's just it's such a... Anyway, we could talk about hours in this, and I don't want to. So it's one other question that I want to ask you about this because of your prior role. So I want to change hats about AccuTrade and Traction for a minute. I want to talk about the industry. You, with your prior role as a GM, a lot of buzz these days about a different OEM to dealer relationship model, about you know, you know 
different distribution models, selling direct, OEM direct, the Tesla model, all that kind of stuff. Where do you think that's headed? Are we going to see that in our lifetime? Are we going to see OEs selling cars direct and dealers being just distribution points? No. And I deal with, I know, behind those closed doors. Right. And there's obviously NDAs and stuff that I can't, right. can't say, but I can say that I haven't met an OEM with bad intentions yet. I haven't met... Uh, a lot of the stuff they're doing, they just want consistency. Right. And they're trying to figure out a way to, to make things consistent. And to be consistent in tier one, it doesn't have to be exactly the same. Right. And most of them promote innovation. It's the laggards that are that are kind of dragging it down. Right. And that's what, I mean, if, if everybody would just innovate a little bit more, right. go with it. <clears throat> they're just trying to enable the dealers. And I think, and I said this earlier, everybody's so worried about direct-to-consumer and what is that going to look like. The franchise laws in this country are so strong. There's not the Tesla, Rivian, uh, I just bought a Vanderhoek Brawley. Those are a different scenario because they're EVs and they're subject to different laws. <clears throat> but I think at the end of the day, they need dealers, they need service departments. They, the infrastructure of the whole network is, is what they're driving. It's going to look different and the cost is going to look different. I think it'll look more like an Apple store eventually. I, absolutely. And I don't think, and I, so I answer this question similarly but a little different. I don't think the dealers are going away at all. But I do think the relationship is going to be a bit different. And I think that the, as that relationship evolves, the ability to make as much gross on the front end, if you will, is going to be more restricted and more capped in some ways. Um, whether that's due to the different laws that, that restrict finance, whether that's due to the relationship with the OE, I, I think it's a combination of all of those. But I think the good news is, is that the dealers, in terms of what they're, you know, the dealers will always be needed from a service perspective. Um, and I think that going forward, I see the dealership of the future flipping a little bit. And I see, you know, we always refer to the service department as sort of the back of the house, you know, out back, the, you know, the, the back of the thing. I see that transitioning a little bit. And I see the service department playing more of a fun center role and being sort of the, 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 the premier of the, the, the brand whether that's the dealer's brand or the OE's brand. Um, and then the car process is going to get much more fractured because I think it's going to be, I, mean, I don't think you're going to see, I, mean, uh, that, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen with the OE's, but you know, these big showrooms that these guys have been building, we're all going to be delivering cars to people in their driveways in the next 10 years. You know, and servicing that way. Yeah, you don't need a big showroom for that, right? But I, I will say, instead of direct-to-consumer, people should be worrying about direct from consumer and acquiring their vehicles. And I totally agree with what you're saying about these operations and how that evolves. And that digital transformation, that is going, it, it reminds me of like in the 90s when dealers would wholesale most of their inventory right. and, that, and auctions the wholesalers existed and that, and that evaporated and, and that whole business went away. Right. Where F&I was like an afterthought right. and it wasn't like a primary focus to drive that much revenue. I think that that shifts to service. And in, now everyone's going to actually start taking seriously AutoZone and Pet Boys and, and all the babbling, all this business that uh, that goes through there and, and, and the hours will change. You know, if you go on Sunday at 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, Jiffy Lube, you know, about a mile from my house, I drive by it on the way to go get coffee. And I can see it's four lanes wide and 10 uh, 
10 cars deep, that, that many people, is that much demand, and we don't meet that need. So we're going to do it through mobile service, and we're not going to open up, but however we do it, yep. we're just letting that business go away. I, I wrote a white paper on this about three years ago, um, and, and it's, it's just my vision of what that's going to look like, and mobile service is a part of it. Um, distributed service, I think, is going to be the big, the big role in this, this been my, my two cents worth on this, um, and I think dealers have a huge opportunity right now. Um, you know, we got to be more convenient. We got to take servicing closer to where the consumers are, which in many cases is going to mean satellite locations and multiple locations. Um, and I think you've got there's a there's a turnkey solution for this, and that is these guys got to go buy up some of these independents and just put the dealership name on the front of it. You well, even take those people and steal their processes. Yeah, steal their people, steal their process, steal their buildings, steal everything, and 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 steal their strategy online. Because right. even if you can replicate it in the store, as I go through my mystery shop, how to you, go, you know any of these other independent service providers that we're talking, about, you go on their website, and try to schedule an oil change, and they go on your own website and try to schedule an oil change, or try to get an estimate on tires, and then get you know go to Tires Plus or whoever, and and journey that that experience, and then the, the, it's easy to identify the problem. You know, our good friend, our mutual good friend, Sandy Sram and I were talking about this the other day, and dealers have dealers have a challenge because you know, the independents get to focus on one thing and one thing only, and that's customer paid work. As a dealer, you got to do that. You got to do internal work. You got to do warranty work, and the infrastructure and the, the stuff that comes into internal and warranty work creates this environment that actually makes it more difficult in some ways to do the customer pay work. Right. And, and if we just let OTAs, over-the-air updates, and, and all that stuff keep the, the bays from being so clogged up, you could do exact work. My, and my, my philosophy is just, just we just separate. <laughs> you know, right. Have a warranty shop over here that does all your warranty internal work and have a completely different business model over here that more mimics what the aftermarket is doing. That's what the customers want from a customer Just like people have dedicated used car buy centers, they're right. branding them differently on the same property. Exactly. It's the exact, yeah, you're dead on this has been fun. Hey, I want to close with this. So I've been, I, you're about the 15th person I've interviewed in the last two days, and I've been asking everybody to I know the priority. Well, he, listen, you weren't, but I called you. I, you've been so damn busy. You're one of the rock stars, man. Everybody wants to talk to you. So I had to get, you know, Fixed Ops Jobs was down on the, down on the list, apparently. But uh, listen, as a kid growing up, I was a huge James Lipton fan from inside the actor studio. I just love watching that show. He passed away recently. If you ever watched that show, he ended every interview with the same way. He asked those five questions. One of them was your favorite. Swear word. I'm not going to ask you that. Um, that would be so that's what happened is okay. There you go. <laughs> but uh, but I'm not going to ask you that. But I'm going to ask you five questions. Kind of rapid fire. So what was the first car you ever owned? Ford Ranger. Really? Ford Ranger. Pickup truck. What are you driving these days? I think you already told me. Ford Bronco. Are you? They just, they just totaled. One, they, one of the new Broncos. Yeah. 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 They just totaled out my uh, FJ Cruiser. 2001 FJ Cruiser. It was painful. Yeah. Did you say you bought a Vauxhall recently or one of those? <coughs> Not a Vauxhall, the, uh, but a, a Brawley, so the other whole Brawley. Okay. Uh, take delivery of it next month. Which is cool. That, that at least fills the uh, scratch. The there you go. The there you go. There you go. So you've had two careers now. You've been a very successful GM and now you're, you're working uh, you know, on, the, on the vendor side. If you could pick another career outside of this industry, what would you do? I think it would just be something else that has to do with the automotive industry. Yeah. It's so explosive, it would be 
it, it would, I would have to keep drawing it back into the magnet, you know? Yeah. If you're on the vendor side or you're consulting within it, it's uh, it's something everybody can relate to, and it's, it's changing like exponentially. It's addictive, right? It's yeah. addictive. When I was involved in the, my last company, um, and we and we, the company was sold by left, I, 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 I said, yeah, I'm going to do something different. But where I am 11 years later, I'm right back here. I guess this chair. And I've always been interested in like law and being an attorney or something like that. Third person that said attorney. Really? Yeah. yeah. But I would want to be a legal consultant for car dealerships. There you go. There you go. So big mentor, one person you admire. Who do you admire most in this industry right now? Um, That's a really tough question. I mean, I would say Jim Moran is probably, you know, he's not around anymore. But I thought about this recently when I was on the Gallant Lady. Yeah. I, was, I was sitting on the back of it, which is a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And I, I look at the impact in the industry that he created. He has a whole cottage industry. People with anglers and take people out. It's like a Disney World but for dealers at this, this experience that nobody else can offer. And, and the connection that they still have with him and his legacy just carries on. It's a uh, great guy. Yeah. I mean, great guy. It's, that's, a, that's a good one. I've had Elon Musk. I've had the first time I've had him, and I, that's a that's a good one. That's a really good one. All right, last question. I think you're probably going to answer this the same way everybody else. But we'll see. What's your favorite thing about this the car business? It's always changing. Is it? And I, and I love how it's never the same. Five years okay. from now, totally different than now. Right now, it's not totally different than five years ago. And that's what keeps it interesting. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Buddy, it was a pleasure. I loved having you on. Brian Kramer, ladies and gentlemen, um, good friend. And uh, I wish you all the best in this new endeavor. Come over to our side, come over to the dark side. We'll see more of you at, uh, at future NADAs. Uh, oh, we're going to be doing some integrations together. I hope so. I hope so. Thanks again, bud. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Fix Ops Chops with Dave Boyle. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to visit our website at www.traction.com. That's Traction with an X. To join the conversation and discover our Fix Ops bonus content.